and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Recap Podcast. My name is Preston, and with me is Ben. Hey, guys. And here in a moment, we're going to listen into a sermon that Ben did on listening. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to add a little bit of context to the message and talk about what listening really is. I do want to tell you that we had an amazing week this past week at VBS uh, here at our facilities, and we had a bunch of kids come in and learn about what it means to be priceless and treasured by God. Um, one of the things I want to highlight about that is we had a mission uh, of, of purchasing desks for a school, a Christian school in Guatemala. Uh, our goal was to, uh, to raise enough money to buy desks for one classroom. Uh, we ended up raising enough money to buy desks for four classrooms. Uh, and that's something that's really cool, and I'm really excited that we were able to uh, partner with them and, and participate in that. It was a really cool week. Yeah, it was. So let's go ahead and dive into this, uh, this conversation. Uh, the, the message is on listening. So Ben, when you think about Christians and listening, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, probably not good things, right? Like, I mean, when you think of this, the reputation that Christians have for their ability to listen or to hear um, uh, kind of the context around them, the way in which the world sees things or hears things or how they feel, Christians aren't necessarily viewed as, as someone that you would talk to or someone that would be perceptive mm-hmm. or, or, or receptive of hearing anything outside of what they would normally give, right? Have a reputation of being pretty closed-minded. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's a shame because it's the exact opposite of who God is. I think it's the exact opposite of who Jesus is. Um, and, and what we see, again, as we're looking at being Jesus in the 21st century, you go back to who Jesus was in the first century, and that kind of gives us a clue as to who he, he would be now. And what we need to be as his followers then, and listening is just such a huge component that I think we miss. Well, it's kind of a, I mean, you have to look at it both ways too, because, you know, Christians stand on truth and the truth is very narrow. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about being closed-minded, it's like, well, I mean, there's truth that like you have to stand on truth. So, I mean, where's the balancing line with that? Well, I think what you see with Jesus is he doesn't hold back truth, but he gives truth to people who want to hear it. And I think the way in which Christians mess that up is that we aren't perceptive or we aren't aware of people and where they're at and how they're feeling and experiencing life, whatever's brought them to the moment that they're in. And we aren't very patient to listen to them and to hear where they're at and be at their level. Instead, we just want to keep shoving truth Mm down their throats until they, until they submit to it, I guess, you know, and, and that's just not effective. Really? Yeah. Not an effective. It's not what Jesus did. <laughs> no. that, that, that's reality. Jesus didn't give truth to people who weren't looking for it. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is going to have the hardest, well, like what kind of person do you think is going to have the hardest time hearing this message? Well, I think within the message, and you're, you're going to hear this as, as, as it gets played back here in this podcast, but you're going to see uh, and kind of hear a context of, of, of our culture right now is just so loud we have so much access to communication. Everybody, anybody can do a podcast. They can get their own YouTube channel. Anybody can, whatever opinions they have. We, we live in a social media world where everyone can just find the article that they like and hit share. And it's just constantly inundated. We're constantly being fed information and there's just noise, constant noise. And everybody's wanting to talk. Everyone's wanting to give their perspective. I think the people who are going to struggle with this message are the people who feel like they have to compete in that. Mm. The, the people who feel like they have an opinion and the truth is so important that it just has to be shouted louder and louder mm-hmm. to get over the top of everything else. When again, in reality, that's not actually the strategy that Jesus took. Jesus listened. Jesus listened. Jesus listened uh, even to people. People would ask him questions, and he would ask questions back. Jesus is God. He has all the answers. But he didn't come and start 
lecturing and, and educating us as to what we're supposed to know. He asked us questions and that's not because he didn't know it's because he was engaging mm. and he, he was interacting with each person at the level at which they're in. I think it's time that the church starts doing that and we stop caring about being right and just being louder than everybody else and actually just start connecting with people's hearts. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing some extra context into this. Let's go ahead and listen into this message on listening in the being Jesus in the 21st century. We've been going through this series called 21st Century Jesus, being Jesus in the 21st century. And a few uh, weeks ago, earlier this month, we were sitting in our staff meeting on a Monday morning, and we started having a conversation about a trend and a fad, a, a, a fashion trend that took place in the 90s, early 2000s. You probably remember it, but it was the WWJD bracelets. Do you remember those? And they had a great value. In fact, I'm starting to see them again. I feel like it's kind of coming back out. It's starting to catch on again. And it's a wonderful thing, right? Like it had this great meaning and purpose behind it. And then it kind of turned into a fashion statement and a trend and a, and a phase. And it wasn't really cool anymore. And it, it kind of ran the whole, the whole spectrum, right, of, of what it was. And we were talking about that whole movement, the, the WWJD. And we were talking about kind of where it came from, what was behind it. And within our, within our meeting, Patrick uh, spoke up and, and shared how his youth minister at that time in the 90s uh, wasn't really for it. Like he didn't really like WWJD. Uh, not so much because he didn't like the heart of it or where it was coming from, it, or coming from but, but his issue had more to do with, he felt like it would be better if it was WDJD. What did Jesus do? And I think that's really what we've been exploring in the context of this sermon series. We've been talking about this, this idea of, you know, if Jesus lived in the 21st century, how would he be interacting? How would he be living? And ultimately the answer is, well, probably the same way he did in the first century. And there's lots of differences. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it seems so distant and far off, and it seems like it was a completely different world, which, which I agree with. Like, I think it's just a completely different world and context that Jesus lived in compared to what we're experiencing now. I think you could say that about 100 years ago, right? And yet, even so, you can see how he interacted with people, how he treated people, how he, how he lived in this world, I think would absolutely translate into our world now and his ability to connect and the things that he would do. One of the things that we highlighted last week that, that Tim spent a lot of time talking about was the table, that Jesus spent a lot of time around a table eating, eating meals with people. Now, now, I like food. But I don't think that's exactly why Jesus did that. Jesus, Jesus sat around a table. He did a lot of stuff, but he wasn't like a foodie. He wasn't a food critic. He wasn't like all about the latest trends or creative ways of cooking things, right? Like really what he wanted was to just be with people. And he knew that around a table that, that people will open up in different ways. And if you share a meal together, that there's a way for you to connect in a more intimate way. And that's what he did. I read this or I, or I heard this a couple weeks ago in a podcast. Someone said Jesus did more ministry around a table than he did in the temple. And I think that's significant. And I think that's a good gauge for us to begin looking at ourselves. Even as we consider our own discipleship, when I think of my time with God and how I'm growing to be more and more like Jesus, as I evaluate myself, does the, does the majority of the work I'm doing on me take place inside of a church building at a set time once a week? Or do I see it taking place around a table? Do I see it happening throughout the week in other locations and other ways of doing it? And even outside of that, my own ministry, my own investment into people around me, my own ways in which I live out being Jesus in this world and how I'm connecting with people around me, does it primarily happen in a very blocked off time in a specific location at a specific time on the first day of the week? Or am I living in such a way that there is space at my table 
that there's ministry that takes place in those individual places, in, in, in those unique places, that, that you know, one of these looks like Jesus and one doesn't. The way in which Jesus did ministry and, and the way in which he didn't. And for me, I, I think as we consider this, it means that we don't just invite people to church, it means that we invite them to lunch. It means that we invite them to our back porch and to our table, that we invite them into our lives, that we're there back for them because we, the people, not the church building, are the church. And that's significant, right? And I think Jesus understood that. And that's why, that's why one of the things that we've been talking a lot about lately, uh, we introduced a couple months ago and we've been kind of pushing for people to participate, is a thing called block parties. Because we came to this realization that we have challenged you to be Jesus in the place that he's put you. Okay? That, that he's placed you in a very specific location, whether that's your home or the workplace or whatever that may be, that he has put you somewhere on purpose to be Jesus in that context and in that place. And so we've come along and we've said that, hey, you need to be that. You need to go be Jesus. But we hadn't really ever given you specific resources for it. And so in our conversations, we decided to, to spend some money. We bought some resources and we can pack them in a trailer. And we've asked you to host a party in your home where we would come and we would drop everything off at you solely for the purpose of you being able to meet your neighbors, of getting to know them, taking those first steps, creating that context where you can actually get to know them and build those relationships and um, whatever that may look like. I want to invite Dave and Lisa Byram up. Dave and Lisa were the bold ones who were the first to actually sign up and do this, all right? Because uh, we know that it's kind of a big ask and it's kind of a big thing. And so we're going to invite them up and, and we're going to let them share. Why don't you guys give them a round of applause as they come on up. It is a lot to host a block party. It's a lot to be willing to get back on stage and talk about it. And so that's a big deal. But I greatly appreciate you guys doing this for us. All right. Now, I'll tell you that this is not a commercial like in the middle of the sermon for a block party, all right? This has absolutely everything to do with where this sermon is going. So don't see it as anything different. But I wanna have a conversation with them. I want you to hear from their perspective what they experienced in, in hosting this party and reaching out to their neighborhood. And, and then also hear in a lot of the ways how we're gonna connect this to exactly how Jesus did ministry. If we're gonna think about what it means to be Jesus in this world right now, um, we're gonna get some insight from their experiences here that I think are really valuable, all right? So first of all, thanks for having this conversation with me. I greatly appreciate it. I want to ask you, um, what was your biggest fear? Like, what was it that caused you to not want to host a block party? Well, we had several fears. Um, one, we have a small house, so, you know, to have a lot of people over at the house is very difficult, but we have a big yard, and so the block party seemed like a perfect remedy for that excuse, but we feared, would we have enough people? Would it be lame? Would we have too many people? Um, just didn't know exactly how it would go down. And I can't brag about this enough. It was absolutely perfect. You, uh, it was just a blast. I, I can't brag it up enough. Yeah. So what, what made you guys actually decide to sign up then? How did you overcome some of those concerns? We wanted to get to know our neighbors. And I came from a place where I did know my neighbors. And um, Dave and I have been married almost nine years. So I've been in that neighborhood and thinking... You know, we knew, we called people across the street, lot of kid house, because they had a lot of kids, or this person <laughs> had a name because of, you know, what they drove or whatever, and we really didn't know their names. We didn't know our neighbors, so we thought we wanted to get to know our neighbors. Okay, that's great. What surprised you the most about the event? Like, you can anticipate a lot of different things, but then when you actually had the event, what is it that caught you off guard? 
I think the thing that caught me off guard was the how open and receptive people were to the whole idea. They loved the idea. Um, people who couldn't actually show up uh, came by later to apologize for not showing up. But there was just an overwhelming response of, we love this idea, we want to get to know our neighbors better, but we didn't really know how to do it, and the whole COVID thing kind of wigged everybody out. So this was just a perfect remedy for that. Yeah. There were so many thank yous. Yeah, and, and so of the things that you heard, like you heard some things from them, you, you, you were able to sit around a table with them and listen, and you were able to catch some things from them. What were, what were some of those things, or, or things that stood out well, to you that, that you heard? Thank you for having, we didn't, we wanted to, you know, connect with people in the neighborhood. We didn't know how we're so happy you had this. We need to do this again. Yeah. Or, you know. Just a great idea that yeah. everybody loved. I mean, how many people can have a bounce house and a snow cone machine and a block party? I mean, it was great. <laughs> and that's, and what I think is so interesting, right? Like, I, I would tell myself, no one's going to show up. No one's looking for this, right? Like, and I think back, I'm, I'm young, okay, but I've heard stories that there were these days when you actually knew your neighbors, right? Like there was this history when you actually knew the names of everybody who lived on your street and you interacted with them and everything else. And that's, that's, that is kind of gone. It is a different world now. And so in order to be able to know these people, you have to take initiative. You have to kind of create that context to know them and everything else. Tell me what's happened since. Uh, what we've seen since then is a lot of community within our, you know, everyone said we wanted to know our neighbors, but we didn't really. And now we see the kids from this house having play dates with the kids from this house where that didn't happen beforehand. This neighbor is now talking to this neighbor at the end of the driveway. Uh, there's one of the ladies that attended um, is, is not in the greatest of health. She doesn't move very well, and she's on a walker, but she goes to the mailbox across the street from us, and she'll make the extra effort to come over to see us and to say hi and to thank us again and see the dogs. I mean, there's just a lot more interaction of neighbors between neighbors that would never happen before. Yeah. I think that's so great. I'm so grateful that you guys did this and participate. I hope it's an encouragement to you guys. Why don't you give them a round of applause again? Thank you so much. Thank you. No, thank you. You bet. So here's what I found about Jesus. Jesus, uh, Jesus liked the table, but it wasn't so much because he wanted to be eating the food. It's that he used it as an opportunity to get to know the people, that he used it as an opportunity actually to listen. And this is what's so significant for me. Jesus, Jesus was very interesting in how he did this. Sometimes Jesus uh, started his own parties and he told you it was, it was gonna be at your house. Like he would just occasionally be like, hey, I'm coming to your house. We're gonna have a party at your house. Invite your friends. But then when he got there, he didn't necessarily have things to tell them. He just listened and he interacted. That there's this part of Jesus that, that in his interactions with them, I love what they said about the block party, about how being there together, they were able to hear some things. I love that they didn't know their names. They, they had names for their neighbors. You have names for your neighbors that aren't like on their birth certificate, right? But that in meeting them, they now have names and they were able to listen. They were able to hear their stories and connect in all these incredible ways. And that's what's so valuable when you create a context to connect with people in this kind of a way. When Jesus showed up on earth, one of the things that he did was he listened. He should have had all the answers. He should have been the one who showed up with all the communication and he was the one who was gonna clarify everything for us. But instead, one of the things that we see out of him is that he listens and it shouldn't be a surprise to us. 
It shouldn't be a surprise to us. When we look into the Old Testament and we study who God is and his character, one of the foundational pieces, one of the things that is so key to our understanding of who God is, that if you were to pull that thread, I think everything would slowly just kind of collapse and dissipate. One of the things that's so very important is this idea that God hears us, that God is a listener. It's so key. It's so significant. In fact, this past week at VBS, uh, which I thought was just fantastic, you saw the video at the beginning of the service, uh, we, we had this theme of treasured, which was just wonderful. If there's anything that you want to teach your kids, teaching them that they are valued and precious to God is one of the most valuable, significant things you can do. And it was a wonderful week in that context. One of the days, you know, it has a different theme each day. One of the days had a theme, God hears me. God hears me. That's so significant. And I know that this is, it seems simplistic, like we're so comfortable with it that we just kind of accept it. And even over the last couple of weeks as I've wrestled with this sermon and as I've considered, you know, where this would go, I'm going to tell you that over this time, it has got deeper and richer for me. The more that I've pressed into this space and looked into what it means that God hears me, that God hears me, that, that he, he cares. Like it's not just that he created this, but that he actually has an ear to my voice that he wants to listen to my heart and the concerns that I have. We had a verse that we used for that day of EBS. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that when Jesus showed up, he listened. That he created contexts for listening that he pressed into those spaces and he, he created those opportunities where people could come around. Here's some stuff. I, I heard this in a different podcast, Church Leadership Podcast, a couple weeks ago where they started giving some statistics of Jesus and his interactions with people throughout the Gospels. And they said this. They said that in the Gospels, Jesus asks 307 questions. Now, I want you to just kind of formulate in your mind what you think of that number. I'll be honest with you, I haven't read through all the Gospels and kept a tally mark of every question he asked. And so I don't know if that's absolutely accurate, but I trust the source and we're going to go with the number, okay? So 307 times, Jesus asks a question in the Gospels. And I want you to just think through, is that a lot? Is that a little? How do you feel about that? There's four Gospels. There's a lot of chapters in each Gospel. You're looking at a little over one question per chapter. To me, that doesn't sound like a lot. It doesn't sound real significant, Right? How many questions do you think Jesus was asked? In that kind of a context. Consider, consider how many times someone came to Jesus and asked him a question, and what do you expect that number to be? Do you expect it to be higher? Do you expect it to be lower? Do you expect it to be something significant? In, in my mind, before I'd heard these numbers, I would have thought that he was asked hundreds and hundreds of questions, that surely Jesus was asked way more questions, because Jesus is the one with the answers, Right? Jesus is the one who knows. Jesus is the one who understands. Jesus come here to reveal something to us. And so surely, surely he's got all these answers. He's not the one who should be asking the majority of questions. We should. In the Gospels, Jesus is asked 183 questions. Meaning that Jesus asks nearly two questions for every one question he has asked. That's significant to me. That kind of catches me off guard a little bit. Jesus only directly answers eight questions in the Gospels. 
He answers a lot of questions. Sometimes he tells stories. Sometimes he asks questions back and there's a dialogue and then he kind of builds to his answer. Sometimes he just starts talking about something else and everyone's kind of confused and at the end he kind of wraps it back up and pulls it into what they're talking about. Like he answers a lot of questions, but only eight times do we have it recorded where someone asks him a direct question and he actually gives a direct answer back. I think it's significant. It tells me that if we're going to ask the question, what would it be like to be Jesus in the 21st century? It means that we probably need to be asking more questions than we're trying to answer. And it means that we probably ought to be listening more than we're talking. And I think it's very counterintuitive to how we function in this world. There's a story in John chapter 1. Before Jesus' ministry, there's John the Baptist. John chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 32. We're told this, it says, John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, speaking of Jesus. He said, I would have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34 says, I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. It's a powerful, powerful moment, right? And it feels like, It feels like this is the moment where Jesus comes onto the stage. It feels like the moment where John walks off. He's offered this incredible uh, uh, introduction to Jesus and his ministry. This feels like the moment where John goes off into the sunset and Jesus steps up on the stage and all attention's on him. And this is where he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Except he doesn't. It feels like this is where, like, if he had a stump speech, this is it. Like he's going to get up and he's going to say all the stuff that he's about, except, except he doesn't. This feels like the moment where Jesus would get up and, and reveal his agenda, that he is God come to earth and he knows everything and he understands everything. And this is his moment to just reveal things to the people because they need to know. He's here to give knowledge and understanding to the people. And this is his opportunity to just lay it all bare for everybody to understand. But he doesn't. In fact, if you look in your Bible, you'll find that there aren't even any red letters involved. That John gives this incredible introduction and sets Jesus up, and the very next words in verse 35 are the next day. There's nothing there. Like Jesus is set up for this opportunity, but, but nothing. It's, it's now the next day. And John, again, is hanging out, and he's there with two of his disciples. Later, we find out they're Andrew and John. I know we got two Johns. That gets confusing. So John the Baptist looks to Andrew and, not, and John, not the Baptist. And he says, uh, when he saw Jesus passing by, he says, look, it's the Lamb of God. And man, this feels like a setup again. Like, it feels like this is the opportunity. It feels like this is the moment where Jesus gets to reveal himself and he gets to display his knowledge and understanding. This is the chance he has to give answers to everybody and set them straight and communicate truths because he has that authority. Verse 37 says that when these two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus and Jesus turns around, seeing them follow him, and he says, what do you want? The first red letters or what do you want? In fact, if you're the kind of person who likes to write or underline or circle things in your Bible, uh, highlight things, I encourage you to take that word asked in verse 38 and make a big deal about that word. 
Jesus had all the authority and he had all the right to just speak these truths and tell people exactly what it was that they needed to hear and what they needed to know. And yet he asked a question. And this question, what do you want? You need to understand how Jesus said this. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm reading into this, but we need to know how he doesn't say this. Jesus doesn't say, what do you want, like an upset mother with the three kids in the backseat who won't be quiet. Like, like she doesn't like to turn around and scream, what do you want? <laughs> like that's not what's going on here. And this isn't Jesus walking down the road, down like, like a dark alley, and these two guys are crept up behind him, and he's shaking. He's like, what do you want? Like, that's, that's not what this is. Jesus sees these two guys, and he turns around, and he looks into their eyes, but I think he peers into their souls. And he asks them a question that pierces the heart. He looks deeply, and he says, what do you want? That's a huge question. That is a soul-piercing question. What do you want? And, and he totally catches the guys off guard. They're completely unprepared for this. They didn't expect question time, all right? Like, they're just gonna follow him, and they're stunned, and they give a question, like, they respond back to Jesus with a question. If you watch, it's kind of funny, because you can tell that they don't have a clue, like, what's going on. Like, they're completely cut off guard. And so they respond with a question back. They look at Jesus, and they say, uh, where are you staying? <laughs> Because they, they weren't prepared for this, right? But listen, listen to their question. It completely reveals what they want. They want to know where Jesus is. They want to know where Jesus is going. Because wherever he's going, that's where they want to be. Wherever he's spending time, that's where they want to invest. They want to follow Jesus, and they want to be with Jesus. And so they ask a question that actually is an answer to the question that they received. They want to know where he's going because they're in it with him. It's powerful Jesus asked this question. And for me, in, in my mind, I connected to, to James chapter 4. James, Jesus, his brother, is in his letter speaking to the church and some conflict that comes up. And he starts chapter 4 by asking this question. He says, what causes these quarrels and these fights among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? Don't they come from the things that you want, like you want something. In fact, that's what he says in the next verse. You want something, and so you take it. You fight for it. You even kill for it. Andy Stanley does some teaching on this specific to marriage. And he, and he says that within the context of a marriage, sometimes our conflicts, sometimes our fights kind of escalate and they get big. And, and at some point, the things within our marriage, we're arguing about the things that aren't actually the issue. Have you ever been there? <laughs> that it kind of grows and it's organic and it kind of reaches a new point and that it just kind of escalates and there's all this extra drama. And Andy says that if you can, if you can in that moment, respectfully, that's, that's incredibly key to this, okay? Respectfully, not sarcastically, not harshly, just look to your spouse and ask genuinely, what do you want? Not a, not a what do you want with me, okay? But like a what do you want? In this moment, right now, we're fighting. What are you fighting for? What do you want? He says that that question will pierce the conversation and it'll take all the extra drama away. It'll pull everything else away to where you can focus in on what the actual issue is. This question that Jesus asks is piercing. But notice this. He asks the question because the relationship has already begun. That there was something already there taking place as these men come alongside 
And Jesus, who could have showed up with all the answers, he could have showed up and never asked a question of anybody because he already knew everything. He already had everything figured out. He could have just spoke. Instead, he shows up and he invites people in to these conversations. There's an there's a, uh, author, speaker, uh, a guy named Greg McCown, who's, who's uh, quoted saying this. He said, everybody's talking. Everybody's being taught how to talk. Everybody's being taught how to write, how to read. But no one's being taught how to listen. Have you noticed that about our world right now? Have you seen that in anybody? There's a comedian that I'm a fan of. He just released a new Netflix special. His name is Brian Regan. In the middle of his whole uh, stand-up routine, he, he, he said very sarcastically, I saw the most amazing thing on social media the other day. He said, I saw, I saw someone make a post, and then I saw a comment on it that said, thank you for that perspective. It totally helped change my mind. Have you ever seen that on social media? I've never seen it. That we would change minds, that we would see something and, and be open-minded, right? Like we have, we have this moment in history right now in the world where there is this noise that's constantly happening. Never before in the history of the world have we had so much access to information and communication and there's constant talking and there's constant talking and there's constant noise and there's constant things being out there between, between our cable television, between our social media, between uh, the conversations around places that we may be. There's constant talking and it seems like the volume is just increasing, like the world is just getting louder and louder and louder. Do you feel that way at all? Like it's just growing and it's just growing and we've fallen into this trap. We've fallen into this idea that in order to be heard, we have to be the loudest. We've fallen into this trap that in order to be heard, we have to be louder than all the other noise. We have to somehow raise our volume to where everyone else can hear us over everything else. And so we're sharing more things on Facebook and we're communicating our perspective and we're telling everybody exactly how we see it and how we feel about stuff. And we just keep contributing to the noise. We keep contributing to the noise and it grows and it grows and it grows. And the problem with it is, is that's not at all what Jesus did. It's not at all what Jesus did. He planned these parties. He sees that kiss and he's like, hey, I'm having a party at your house tonight. You should invite your friends. And so Zacchaeus is like, oh, okay. And he's the last to find out. And so he calls all his friends and they come over. And when they get there, Jesus doesn't stand up at the table and give them his four-point sermon. He doesn't take advantage of a captive audience. He sits down with them and he shares a meal. And he talks and he listens back and forth and he invests into their lives. He invests into those relationships. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that when Jesus did speak with authority, people listened. Not because there was something special about his speaking, but because he had built a relationship to where they wanted to hear what he had to say. And it changed lives. And it started with listening. It's counterintuitive to what we would assume. That if we could just get louder, if the church could just make more, more statements about how they feel about things, if, if I would just share more stuff, if, if I would just communicate louder, that then the world will know what they ought to be doing. And the reality is that's not changing minds. And it's not what Jesus did. I think there's a key part of who we are that each of us carries this need to be understood that we all want to be heard. And it drives us to talk louder and louder and louder because we want to be heard, but in reality, all we're doing is we're adding to the noise. Think about like a toddler who isn't able to talk yet, and they have a need. They will do whatever's necessary to get your attention. 
to let them to let you know that they have a need. They'll cry, they'll scream, they'll grunt, they'll they'll do whatever they can. They'll throw something at you. At least my kids would, right? They'll do whatever is necessary to get your attention because they have a need. And really, their deepest need is that they need to be understood. They need someone to come to them and see what they have going on, to understand what's going on in their life, and then come alongside of them and help. And as we get older, I don't know that we become much different. There's something deep within us that needs to be understood. If you've ever had that person in your life, if there's ever been anyone in your life that you could talk to that you knew would listen, and that they wouldn't come in with their opinions or their ideas, but they would be there to listen and to do their best to understand you and come alongside of you. You hold on to those kinds of people, don't you? You don't let people like that slip out of your life. The value that comes in being understood, the way in which they, they give you meaning and love, it's so very powerful, and it is exactly what Jesus did. I think it's why Jesus said all the time, he who has ears, let him hear. Because there's a lot of people who have mouths who like to talk, but not many who want to listen Winston Churchill said it this way. He said, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. And we like that part. That seems familiar because we all want the courage to stand up and speak, but that's not where he finished talking. He continued and he said, courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. I think our world could use a lot more of that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the impact on the world if the church was known as a place where people listened? Can you imagine if Christians had the reputation as being the most understanding, compassionate, listening people, how that would change the way in which the church is viewed, how people would be drawn to that, to know that their story had value and that regardless of where it ends, that someone's willing to listen and understand and, and hear their context. Can't you recognize that our culture would so connect to a place like that? They're looking for it. Proverbs 1.5 says, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Proverbs 18.13 says, he who answers before listening that's his folly and his shame. James 1, 19 and 20 says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Did you hear that? Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I'm living in the same world you guys are living in. And I'm seeing the way in which you're living just as you're seeing the way I'm living. And I see a lot of people these days who are trying to use their anger to bring about righteous living in other people. And it's not Jesus. And in fact, James goes on in verse 26 and he tells us the consequences. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Church, it's time we listen. It's time that we stop, stop like setting aside the things that we feel like we have to say and we step in and we listen. I'll tell you how this plays out. It starts by creating an environment. It's what Jesus did. Jesus started by creating environments, places where he could listen and connect with people. It's why block parties are actually just a, a brilliant idea for you to be able to meet people and build those relationships. And it doesn't have to be your neighborhood. I know that we have a lot of people who are kind of rural and the idea of neighborhood is the stumbling block you have. You're allowed to invite your like coworkers you can invite people that you know and then bring them into your home and use it as an opportunity to build those relationships, to create those opportunities. It starts by creating an environment. It starts by recognizing that ministry happens around the table much more frequently than it happens in a church. 
It starts with that. But then when, whenever you set that environment, when you're able to then set aside your agenda and to set aside your opinions, but to care for the other person more than you do yourself or even to be heard, if you can set aside your need to be heard, but use your ears to listen to people and hear people, you're gonna see stories like what we heard earlier where because they were willing to listen for one afternoon, people keep coming back, wanting to be heard. And at some point, the question, what do you want, is gonna happen. At some point in that conversation, someone's gonna be able to ask that question, what do you want? And you're gonna start hearing, and you're gonna start listening at a different level. You're gonna start knowing people at a different level. And here's the most brilliant thing of Jesus and who he is. This is exactly how he did ministry. He listened, he created the environments, then he listened, he built these relationships with people, and then they couldn't wait to hear what he had to say. If there's something on your heart, something that you want to say, it will not be heard if there's not that relationship and that connection that exists. Otherwise, there's a trust and a relationship that forms when you create that environment and you put yourself aside to care for others and to listen to them. And when that, built, when that relationship, when that trust is built, your voice will have so much more weight and value. It is absolutely how Jesus did ministry. And it's what the church ought to look like. Unfortunately, the stereotype of the church is the complete opposite. Close-minded, loud, abrasive, impatient, unwilling to listen or consider anything other than their perspective. Church, I'm telling you right now, the future of the church and the future of churches that are moving and acting are gonna be filled with people who are willing to listen to the world that they're in and to build those bridges and build those connections. And incredible, incredible fruit will come from it. Church, will you listen? Uh, well, thank you for tuning in and listening uh, to this message with us. We hope that it was challenging for you. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.